Well, I want to invite you today uh, to turn to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, It's actually the oldest minor prophet. It was uh, written and took place uh, about the 8th century BC. Uh, If you get to Daniel, keep going a little bit. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. Uh, Somewhere in there, uh, Obadiah is nearby. But Jonah... Uh, is, is a familiar story. If you've been in church much, you've probably heard Jonah. And as God would have it, this week in the news, we got a Jonah story. There was a lobster diver off the coast of New England who was looking for lobster, very good. And a giant humpback whale was there and swallowed him. True story, swallowed him, kept him in his belly or his mouth or something for what the diver thinks was 30 seconds, but it could have been three hours or three seconds, right? Because time disappears when you're in tragedy and and scared out of your wits thinking you're going to die. He could still breathe because he had his uh, tank on um, and the whale breached and spit him out into the water and his buddies rescued him. Jonah is true, okay? So, period, the end. Oldest book of the Bible, just, you know, it was on Apple News, so it's gotta be true, right? Um, it's gotta be true. So a great story, didn't break any bones, he, he lived in the photo in the hospital, he's doing this, you know, like he did something amazing, uh, he survived. But Jonah, uh, if you know the story, Jonah is this man who's been called to go to Nineveh. This city, a, a giant city, actually comparable in size to Pearland. So it's about the same size as Pearland today, about 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh. And Jonah is called to go there uh, to take the message of God uh, to this city. It's an evil city. That's not like Pearland. Pearland's nice. Uh, it's an evil city. It's a dark city, and Jonah is called to bring the light of God to a dark, dark place. The same thing he calls each of us to do. It's what our students learned about this week at camp, is taking light into the darkness. It's what we're called to do. And you know, many of you know the story of Jonah, but I want to ask you today as we look at it to kind of take a fresh approach to it. Look at it brand new today. And we're going to read all of chapter one, but we're going to break it into some sections uh, as we think about uh, what God has to say through Jonah to us. If you've got it, Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, little g-god. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. Jonah has been given a command from God, a word from the Lord to go to this place called Nineveh. It wasn't like God was just saying, hey, uh, Jonah, when you get a chance next week, will you head on over and uh, lead a Bible study for me? Hey, you know, there's a couple of people in town I really want you to build a relationship with so that one day they might come to faith in me. Um, hey, Jonah, can, can you go over and uh, feed the homeless, start a clothing drive? Can you do some good stuff to kind of help this city that is not really nice? Show them how good people really operate. That's not what God said to Jonah. God said to Jonah, go to this city and speak against it, not in your power, not in your wisdom, not in your strength, not in your eloquence. No, in my divine authority, a word of the Lord. God was telling Jonah to go to this pagan place with all the power and the might and the strength and the presence of God. I'm going with you, so let's go. And Jonah, in all of his wisdom and strength and intellect and eloquence said, hey, uh, I think I'm gonna go to Joppa, which is 50 miles from my house and board a ship and go to Spain because that's where Tarshish is, is in Spain. And so let's think about that because when you and I decide to run from God, we make strange decisions. And, and might I say, I was gonna put that up here, bad decisions, but that might be too offensive When we run from God, we make strange decisions. And this decision is strange. The first of many, Jonah makes it strange. Because I want you to look on a map to see what it means to go from Joppa to Tarshish. Nineveh is 500, remember Joppa, which exists today. It's a city that still exists today called Jaffa, J-O-F-F-A. So you can look it up on a map, still exists, a beautiful port town to go to Nineveh is 550 miles. Nineveh is modern day Iraq near Mosul. Many of you know that because it's a dangerous place. But no, Jonah says, hey, let's board a ship and go to the south of Spain. I hear it's nice this time of year. 2,500 miles away across four seas. We make bad decisions when we try to run from God. He went and paid money. He paid money to run from God. It would be like you and me buying a plane ticket to go to Iceland when God wants us to go to El Paso. It doesn't make any sense. That, that's the equivalent. Now, I know El Paso is 800 miles away, and that stretch of I-10 is pretty rough. But Iceland, you have your vaccine card. 
Do you have your passport? You know if you went to Intercontinental today, it would be expensive to go to Iceland today. You know how it is. You need to buy 30 days in advance. At least, international, at least six weeks to get the best deals. But no, you'll pay a premium in every aspect of your life when you're running from God because we make poor decisions when we run from God. And Jonah is making a poor decision. Because perhaps in his mind, he's like these pagan sailors that thinks that, well, God's only here in the Middle East. If I go to Europe, he won't be there. That was the mentality of the day that gods were, little g-gods were regional. And so perhaps I can escape the presence of God. Big mistake, Jonah. Big mistake. God's on the sea with you. And the storm comes a great wind that God hurled upon the sea. And the crew, these pagan sailors are praying to their little G-gods. It's amazing how people turn to their God when they're desperate. Every people group turns to their God when we're desperate, when we want out of trouble. Everyone will find a God when they need him or her little G-God. Everyone. And there's Jonah running from God, making bad decision after bad decision, bringing these other guys along for the ride. And what does he do? He is in the bottom of the ship asleep. A planned rest, right students? A planned rest a planned rest, and he's sleeping. Now, this word sleep is the same word used in Genesis for when God puts Adam to sleep to do surgery on him to create Eve. Like, he is knocked out. He, he's dead asleep in this moment, oblivious to the chaos around him continuing in his downward spiral of poor decision-making. I'm sure he's thinking as he walks down to take his nap, this, this can't be God. You know, it's just, it's hurricane season. You know, it's June to November. It's just a cold front. You know how those things pop up on the sea. It's just got a freak storm. These things, it'll blow over. These guys are expert. No big deal. I'll just go. We rationalize everything around us when we continue to make bad decisions in running from God. We rationalize everything that's happening around us, and we're blind to it. The irony of this moment is that everyone on the ship is praying but Jonah. Everyone on the ship is praying to their little G-God and Jonah, the one who serves the big G-God, the Lord of heaven and earth that he declares later, he's the only one not praying. That's just like us. And here he is, napping, waiting for it to pass, but let me remind you, if you didn't know this already, your decisions, and might I say your strange decisions to run from God will bring storms into your life. 
And, and they'll bring storms into others' lives as well. It won't just be you that's experiencing the storm. These men in the midst of the storm, remember, they're sailors. They're going from Joppa to Spain. They're going from Israel to Spain. And the reason they're going from Israel to Spain is because they're taking cargo and being paid to take cargo from Israel to Spain. And what are they doing in their desperation in the middle of this storm? They're throwing the cargo overboard. The thing that they're getting paid to do, they're ditching it. While the one who knows what's going on, who knows the one who's causing it, is asleep in the belly of the ship in this moment. So his storm is not just affecting him alone. He's oblivious to the consequence of his sin, the consequence of his rebellion, the consequence of the disaster that he's creating for others around him. And that's often the case for us as well. When we're in the midst of rebellion, running from God, we don't see that we're creating collateral damage with others in our lives. And so these poor guys, when they get to Spain, probably one of two things is gonna happen. They're either gonna be arrested or killed and they're gonna lose their ship because they've ditched their cargo, the thing that they're getting paid to do. And here's Jonah taking a nap in the bottom of the ship. And so what happens after the captain comes down? You know it's bad when the captain is talking to you. Wake up, sleeper. That's a great nickname. Perhaps your God will think about us. Perhaps your God will think about us. Let me bring you some encouragement today, church family. Our God always thinks about us. He always thinks about us. He always cares for us. He always is interested in us. And so what happens after the captain wakes up the restful Jonah? Verse seven, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. It's a God-ordained gambling, as best I can describe it. That we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Duh. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. They already know the answer, but tell us anyway. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? That's not a question, that's a statement. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The pagans knew he was running away. Everyone can see it when we run because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. What a wonderful word. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. 
For I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The sailors cast lots. They figure out it's Jonah. And then the 20 questions come. Who are you? Where are you from? Why are you here? Why did you bring this chaos to us? And Jonah, in the most ironic statement in the entire book, verse nine, you should underline it because it should be for all of us. Who are you and what people are you from? And here's what he says, verse nine. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Bull-loney. That's the biggest lie in the world. The first part is definitely true. I'm a Hebrew. Yes, that's his nationality. I fear the Lord of heaven, the creator of the sea and the dry land. Well, if that were true, Jonah, then why are you here with us? Ladies and gentlemen, talk is cheap. Faith in action is what matters. Jonah is talking a big game here. I fear the Lord of heaven, the God of all creation, the one who said to me, just a few days ago, go to Nineveh by my word and preach against them. That's who I fear. Have you ever said that to somebody? Maybe not in those words. You sure didn't say you were Hebrew, hopefully. But Jonah is talking a big game, but the reality is he's lying. Because he doesn't fear God in this moment. He's more concerned about his comfort and himself. He's more concerned about his agenda and not God's agenda. He's risked the lives of these men because he didn't want to obey God. Do you know why did you ruin our perfectly good trip to Spain? Because that's what he did. He ruined their trip. He might have ruined their lives. Because what he said and how he acted didn't match. Today, we call that a hypocrite. And here Jonah is standing before these pagan sailors declaring his belief and his trust in the God of heaven and earth. And he's missed it. And so let's not say that we have faith if our actions don't support that statement. 
let's remember that our disobedience has consequences. Sometimes we think our disobedience doesn't. But our disobedience has consequences. And the consequence for Jonah, the one who fears the person who made the sea, which is so funny to me, I serve the Lord who made the sea. Well, tell your God to stop, please. Because the storm is getting worse and worse and worse. Verse four, it says how he hurled the great wind. And then in verse 11, it's more and more tempestuous. And then in verse 13, it says it again. They're trying to row back to shore and they can't even make any progress. It's so bad. Everything they're doing is unsuccessful because Jonah, the one who fears the Lord, is disobeying. And so don't ever forget that God will orchestrate circumstances to get your attention. And perhaps in that moment, maybe when Jonah made that statement, I am a Hebrew, the one who fears the Lord of heaven, the creator of the sea and dry land, maybe in that moment it began to click again with him because these pagan sailors questioned him. Let me remind you that sometimes the people farthest from God can say the most godly things to you when you're in the midst of rebellion, when you're in the midst of disobedience, God will use anyone and anything to regain your attention. And so the question we have to ask is, are we paying attention? Because at this point, there's a hard choice that has to be made. There's a difficult choice that has to be made. Do we all die because of this storm or do we murder this man? by throwing him overboard. Jonah's disobedience caused them to have to make that decision. Now, sometimes your disobedience and my disobedience aren't that dramatic, thank goodness. But there's consequence and God is always trying to get our attention so that we would stay in alignment with his will and his purpose and so they have to make this hard choice. And Jonah says, just throw me overboard and it'll stop. Trust me, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard and the sea will calm down, I promise. Now, you and I, because we say we fear the Lord, we would have a tough time with that decision. And they had a tough time. They continued to row to shore, try to figure it out. It didn't work. This is a great life lesson ungodly people will throw you away if they see no value in you. Ungodly people will throw you away if they don't see value in you. I'm thankful that our God doesn't throw us away when we make bad decisions. And so they throw him overboard. And immediately, the sea stops. Now, at this point, if you don't know the rest of the story of Jonah, you might think that our God, the God of heaven, the one who created sea and dry land, is a pretty vengeful, mean God who's all about punishing those people who disobey him. 
That, that's what you might gather from verses 1 to 12 or 13. But let me help you understand that God had one thing in mind. He wanted Jonah. He wanted Jonah to be the messenger of hope and peace and life and faith. He wanted Jonah, not because Jonah was great, not because Jonah was perfect, we've proven that already, but he wanted Jonah. And so know that God is constantly orchestrating circumstances in your life and my life so that we will live out his calling. And don't think that just because things are bad right now in your life, it's because God's punishing you. No, we live in a fallen, broken world where evil exists. And sometimes bad things happen. It rains on the just and unjust. And rain is good sometimes and bad other times. Just make sure you get your First Baptist Friendswood umbrella, okay? But remember that, that God cares for me. God always wants relationship with me. He wants me. Just like he wanted Jonah. And in Jonah's rebellion, God waited and he orchestrated a storm. He orchestrated these men to speak truth to him. And even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, a group of sailors turned their hearts from their pagan gods to the one true God. That's a miracle. In the midst of his rebellion, God reaches these sailors for his sake and for his glory, they pray this crazy prayer at the end. God, please don't hold it against us that we killed this guy. That's just like us asking forgiveness instead of permission. Please, God, we're gonna, we're gonna throw this guy overboard in the ocean. Don't hold it against us, please. He told us to do it. You got anybody that has a brother or sister? They've said that. Well, they told me to do it. Oh, yeah, that makes it all right. They gave you permission to be foolish. They give you permission to injure them. Yes, way to go. You're so wonderful. What a selfish prayer here. But the craziness of this prayer is what? It worked. God hears our selfish prayers. God you do as you please. So he picked up Jonah, hurled him into the ocean, and everything stopped. And these men, they feared the Lord exceedingly. Like an overwhelming flood of fear and awe for the greatness of God. They offered sacrifices and they made a vow. In that moment, these men turned their lives and made a commitment that from that day forward, they were going to be committed to the one true God. It's not a great evangelism strategy by Jonah, but it worked. They turned their hearts, they made a commitment. God answered their prayer and they responded accordingly. They responded in the right way. And so the question you and I have to ask 
whenever we see something like this, a selfish prayer about killing somebody. Please don't have any of those prayers, okay? But when we offer up a selfish prayer or we offer a prayer in earnest and God answers the prayer, how do we respond? God answered their prayer. And they responded by making a sacrifice to him, by making a commitment to him, a vow. That's a covenant, a a commitment for their life to depend on him, to trust in him. And so when God answers our prayers, what do we do? Do we give him thanks? Do we tell of his goodness? Do we share that prayer, that answered prayer with others? Do we reassure people and say, you know, no, God does answer prayers. Let me tell you why, how I know that, what he's done in my life. Do we share those things? Because God heard them. You know why God heard them? Because he wasn't just paying attention some of the time. He was paying attention the whole time. And he knew them. And he heard them. And he was listening to them, just like he was listening to Jonah, just like he was watching Jonah, just like he was orchestrating circumstances for Jonah. And perhaps the the greatest moment in this story is verse 17. The reason we're talking about it, because it happened again this week. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This fish, was it a whale, a whale shark, humpback whale? Who, who knows? Doesn't matter. I don't care. God appointed, God orchestrated, God prepared this fish to be in that place at that moment to rescue one of his rebellious children. Just like God does for us time and time and time again. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish long enough to begin to decompose and have his skin turn colors. And like Jesus, uh, this is a foreshadowing of Christ's death and burial and resurrection. But like Jesus, who was in the tomb parts of three days, we think three full days, but the way we count time is different than the way the ancient world counts time. So Jonah was probably in the belly of the whale parts of three days. And the fish spit him out. This is a hard story for this part is hard for some, but I'm thankful for real world news that tells us that it's possible. Because God didn't like, chase after Jonah and pluck him off the ship and just carry him over to Nineveh. God didn't kill Jonah because he was mad at him for his disobedience. You think about that? God God didn't kill Jonah. God didn't really even punish Jonah. Yeah, I wouldn't say three days in a fish probably is great, but God wanted Jonah. And God wants you. God is constantly calling us to himself. And despite our rebellion, God wants to use us in his redemptive plan. 
That, that's the story of Jonah, that God is in an unrelenting pursuit of Jonah and he's in an unrelenting pursuit of the people of Nineveh and God wanted Jonah to be the one to share the great hope to this 120,000 people. That's what he wanted. He wanted Jonah to do that. He wanted Jonah to be a part of the plan and he wants you and me to be a part of his redemptive plan in Friendswood, Pearland, League City, Houston, Dickinson, Alvin, Santa Fe, wherever you live, work, go to school. He wants you to be a part of his redemptive plan. He wants you to share the message of hope to the Ninevites in your world. And he will orchestrate circumstances in such a way to give you the opportunity to do that. That coworker that says they hate God, he's gonna put you in their path in strange and unusual ways. That quirky kid at school or in your neighborhood or next door, God's just gonna have you happen to be outside together because God wants you a part of their life. God desires for us to be a part of his redemptive plan and he's gonna pursue you and me with his love and his direction so that we will bring light to a dark world. And so you might be here today and you maybe are like Jonah and you can talk a big game. I fear the Lord God of heaven and earth. But your faith is like this big. It's okay. God wants you. You might be in rebellion today, big or small. Maybe we're not in big rebellion like buying the ticket to Iceland, but we're in small rebellion today. Or maybe in some time in the past, we've been in rebellion. We think, oh, God sure doesn't want to use me. Wrong. He does want to use you. And so listen to those around you who are telling you that God wants to use you. Because you and I are called to be his messengers. And so my encouragement to your church family today is to hear the word of the Lord and go with him with his message to a dark and dying world that we might bring them hope. And stay dry, please. Let's pray together.